Romans 12, 9 through 21 out of the New Living Translation. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame upon their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil with doing good. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, be with us this morning as we look into your word and come to your table. Be with us, enter our hearts and minds, and let our thoughts be solely upon you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's start setting up a series on joy, which we will define in a particular way and make one starting suggestion on it. Do you sometimes feel lacking in joy in this modern day and age that you live in? Now, I figure as Americans, we must be Because if you watch the news of what's going on here, a lot of people seem frustrated and they see, uh, they seem angry. There are also, it seems, a widening and ever larger array of things that people get hooked on. I mean, the one in the news now is the opioid epidemic. That particular crisis And still, I think that is people trying to find joy who have only come across a counterfeit. But that is what they are after, something that brings joy. And all they can get is something that makes them high. But see, here's the thing. As Christians... Joy is our birthright. Now, I'm not talking about just 
pleasure or happiness. As a matter of fact, I want to share an experience a little more in detail uh, that I've shared briefly before. This was in mine and Lori's maybe uh, within our first five to seven years of marriage because we later brought the kids down to this site so we knew they weren't with us that first time. Now we were in Cloudland Canyon. Do you know where this is? This is one of our go-to places. It's just slightly above where mom's house is, and it is a beautiful spot, but I have to tell you, if you're going there, you better be ready to walk. There are stairs upon stairs upon stairs, thankfully, because I couldn't climb down those cliffs, but still be ready to walk. But do take the time to walk because Lori and I were there. We remembered it from our childhood and we decided to walk all the way down. Yes, we were in our twenties. We decided to walk all the way down to where it said the waterfall was at the bottom of the trail. And this is what we saw. Now, I don't know who that person is. Um, if you're wondering about the hair color, it is not my daughter, but that'll give you some idea of the scale and of the serenity of this place. Now, the reason it made such an impression on us wasn't just the beauty of it, but when we got there, we both had a very similar experience. Lori described it like this. She said she felt like she had just been brought into something God had put up to be a little bit of a foretaste of what heaven would be like. And it wasn't just the scenery, it was the feeling, the serenity, the, the grace, the beauty, the peace. And she said it felt like catching a glimpse my overwhelming impression was of the pleasure of God of being able to create something like this and then share it with His children. The thought brought joy to the heart of God. Now both of us, our experiences were slightly different, but both of us will never forget this. You can ask me when I'm 90, and I might have forgotten just about everything else, but if you ask me about that waterfall at Cloudland Canyon, I'll still smile. Why? Because it has become one of the foundational moments of our relationship, of my life, and of the things I go back to when I think of when I encountered joy. Not just happiness, not just pleasure, but joy. In the words of C.S. Lewis, who wrote about this, he wrote of, now catch this, this is tricky, an unsatisfied desire which is itself more desirable than any other satisfaction. In other words, it's a longing that is more fulfilling than any other pleasure or any other accomplishment that you've had. He called this joy, which must be distinguished both from happiness and pleasure. For joy has only one characteristic in common with them, the fact that anyone who has experienced it will want it again. And he wrote this, I doubt whether anyone who has tasted it would ever if both were in his power, exchange joy for all of the pleasures in the world. But then again, 
encountering joy like this is never in our power. This joy is a longing that is in our hearts that is also the promise that it will be fulfilled. It reveals to us just how shallow happiness and pleasure can be and how temporary. And one way you can see how much different it is is this. Neither the pursuit of happiness nor the pursuit of pleasure will lead to a life of fulfillment. But the pursuit of joy will. So when we're setting up to speak on for the next several weeks, what are the things that kill our joy? We're not, I'll say our joy, but it's not really ours. It's, it kills our awareness of our being open to those moments where God breaks through and lets us catch just a glimpse. And it fills our heart with a longing that feels more powerful than any of the happiness that we could have had. It's the reason why someone who lost all of his children at sea could be traveling from the U.S. to England and when he gets to the point where his daughters drown, compose when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That is joy. But when we think about the things that can take that awareness or that openness to us, today there is a laundry list longer than my short arms. Because there is so much, so many things, and there is such a lack of those moments of peace where joy can peep through. So, Let us look at the Scripture quickly, sort of Paul's scattershot advice, and then we're going to zero in on one particular thing that is a great joy stealer in our lives. Paul was writing in verses 9 through 16, Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. If anyone ever asks you where the Bible says, Love the sinner, hate the sin. This is as close as you're going to get, and it's probably where that, that abbreviation came from. The most important thing being this. Don't just appear to love others. Sometimes it's easier to act loving than to really be committed to it. Verse 10, love one another. Still on this theme with genuine affection. Again, don't... Pretend and take delight in honoring one another. I think ministers, we need in the Methodist connection to have that quote printed above the appointment list. The appointment list, which every year used to be, thank God they changed this, used to be listed in according to salary. In other words, number one got the top salary. Aren't you glad they changed that? Didn't that send the wrong message? Oh, dear Lord, don't get jealous. Don't get irritable or try not to. And for heaven's sakes, don't get petty. Verse 11, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. There we have a good basis for our Protestant work ethic. Verse 12, 
Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. In other words, keep things in perspective. And this itself, in this one verse, may touch on that experience of joy. In verse 13, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be ready to practice hospitality. In other words, and yet again we say, be the good Samaritan. Whenever you can, whenever you're called to be that. Verse 14, bless those, and now he's getting into meddling instead of preaching, right? Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them, and we'll expand this point in a minute. Verse 15, be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. In other words, meet people where they are and let them experience. Don't, Don't be the one who... When someone is weeping and, and troubled and they have a valid reason to be, don't be the one who says, oh, just praise the Lord through it. No, God weeps with you during these times. We are to do the same. And in verse 16, live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Now I need to get that and stick it uh, above Candler Theological Seminary's entrance and just remind them of this verse along with the last half. And don't think you know it all. I am not even going to expand on that because we might start pointing at each other, especially couples in the room. But this was from an ex-Pharisee. This is from someone who really did think that he knew it all. This is from someone who was very proud of his estate and of his learning and could look down his nose at others. But who has grown from that? Now, the one targeted joy killer, and we're going to do this quickly, because this is the one that I have seen, and honestly, (laughs) this is one that I have fought because, well, number one, I'm a Lowry. And if you saw my family tree, you would understand. My mother said, hey, man, preach it, son. Number two, I am five foot five and a half inches tall, and you better not forget that half. And I tell you, there's been some times where I wanted to exemplify the phrase, especially in middle school and high school, that dynamite comes in small packages, you know? Because here's the thing. Whenever Paul says, don't seek payback, but live peacefully with others, in verse 17 and 18, that is hard at times. Because there are times whenever you really, and I really, want to hit back. And here's Paul and God telling us, let go of revenge. Let God deal justly because his anger is always just. Ours is always out of proportion. I mean, can God be angry and just? Well, for example, is anger toward the abuser of a child morally just? The answer is yes. Are we perfect in our administration of justice without vengeance? The answer is no. So we're told to pay back good for evil, and maybe that'll lead 
to a change in their heart. This idea of burning coals upon their heads, that of shame was sort of added. There's a real question because putting burning coals in the, uh, the sacramental vessel was what would sanctify something holy in the Jewish uh, system. So there's a chance that what Paul is saying there is sort of a, a double meaning is that, well, yeah, it will heap burning coals of shame on their heads, but also there's the chance that it will make a change in them and lead to their coming to God. So the big point in verse 21 If evil is done to you, let's say someone hits you. Your natural reaction is to hit back. And sometimes you might even do it proportionally. But isn't there also that temptation to hit them back so hard that they would never even think about hitting you again? That old... Chicago way in the movie. They send one of yours to the hospital. You send one of theirs to the morgue. That idea of escalating it so now you know not to mess with me. And trust me, as a short guy in high school, oh, I felt like oh, I wished. Mm, 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 mm. In fact, one of my most favorite memories. Anybody remember back when ringing was possible because they had not counted a class ring as a brass knuckle? So the One of the girls in drumline, one of the girls in drumline got her boyfriend's ring, turned it around and tried to come up and hit me on the back of the head with it. I got my hand up and the thing went sailing and landed this far from the sewage grate. (laughs) Well, I taught you a little lesson there, didn't I? Oh, yeah. That felt good. (sighs) I wonder how bad I would have felt if the ring was lost. Hmm. Paul's implication is this. Because in our culture, we have all the superhero movies and all, and the idea is someone hits and you hit back and eventually good triumphs over evil by doing that. But Paul's implication is this. And if you read back through it again, and we'll just go through this ourselves, y'all can read it again tonight. But if you go back through it, it seems that he is saying this. Whenever someone is after you, if you go after them, then you have increased the evil that is being done. The violence, at least, has been doubled. Now, don't avoid, you know, this by thinking, well, what about war? What about national policy? What about the Britain? No, we're talking about that individual action and behavior. This is about the person who cheated you out of a promotion at work, so you let drop what you know or suspect about their office romance, and you get them fired. Oh, and by the way, you break up their family. This is what we're talking about. If we really want to conquer evil, the way we do it is conquer it first within ourselves. And that is hard to do when we've had evil done to us. But that's what he is saying. And that's what the Lord is saying through him at this point. Do not be conquered by evil. We think of being conquered by evil as letting the bad guys win. But the truth of the matter is, says Paul and the Lord, that being conquered by evil is letting it get in us. (sighs) 
If we really want to conquer evil, then we must conquer that temptation within ourselves. And we do that by doing the good, even and especially when it is so hard to do. Even in our imaginations of, man, if I could get away with it, I would do this and that and such and such and everything. Maybe especially there. Because that is the opposite of peace. And because peace is the place where we encounter joy. Because the real battle that is fought for joy in our lives is never really in our circumstances. Although places and moments of peace can help, the real battle for joy is in our hearts. Our openness to Him. Our moments set apart that leave a lasting impression on our hearts and on our minds. It is about letting the light shine through the cloudiness and the darkness of this world. About being ready to receive from God the grace that He is always ready to give.